0: All right, so I want to welcome everybody out to Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson Episode 3. Today is going to be a very special podcast, I think, for everybody. We have Bob Laidlaw, the founder president of Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson here today with us. So happy to have Bob here. Of course, I have Keith here as well. Yeah, I'm excited
1: uh, about this one, Matt. We've been talking about this from the beginning. And uh, yeah, we're excited about having Bob here and, and talking about the uh, history of our dealership and Motorcycling in the San Gabriel Valley and uh, interested to hear all of his amazing stories I have a few of my own that I want to make sure to remind him of but yeah um, super excited time right now.
0: So Bob obviously uh, is I, I owe a lot to Bob obviously, you know, he's my grandfather um, The dealership wouldn't even be here today I don't even know if I'd be in motorcycles if it weren't for Bob Laidlaw A lot of people ask me questions on the YouTube channel and everything about You know, oh you should do a history video Matt on uh, Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson and how it started so this is kind of a culmination of all those things. We finally got Bob down here, and um, yeah, we're really excited about it.
2: Oh, it's kind of interesting. It's been quite a history in my life, and I'd like, I think a lot of people would enjoy hearing how it all happened.
0: Let's, let's start off. So I think the big thing is that people want to hear about is how did you get into motorcycle in the first place? What, what made you, let's talk about the steps that lead up to you first buying a dealership, and how you got into it.
2: Well, I think we need to go back even a little further than that. If it had two wheels. I loved it, and I was involved with it. I, I remember the first new bicycle I bought. I remember doing a paper route in the morning. I remember all kinds of things that always involved a two-wheel vehicle of some kind. And I, the first one I got with the motor on it was a Powell motor scooter that my dad had that I... Uh, Run it out of oil and put a rod through the side of the case, so <laughs> I learned the hard way that you had to take care of them different than that, but it's been a a real experience to do all the things that I've done over my life with the two wheel vehicles so, so i have
1: one story about that bob if you if, if you if uh, you you told me a story one time about being very young and riding a tricycle down to the store from your house, you left your house in the morning or something. And your mom was like, where have you guys been? And you and your brother, Malky, I think, were off on some tricycle mission to the store to get candy or something. I think you remember I think you remember telling me that.
2: I had a, tr- a tricycle that had great big wheels on it. it. used to go like the wind. And I remember driving it down the hill yeah. past Del Mar. And the only way I could slow it down was to put my foot up on the tire and it hit the fork and push down. And yeah. In the hope that it would slow it down. So, yes, we had a. I was involved with two wheels, three wheels all my life.
0: So, Grandpa, you know, while we're talking kind of about your childhood, like what kind of a childhood did you have? You know, I usually refer to you as a guy that started with nothing, built you know one of the the most recognized dealerships in the world. And you know, can you talk a little bit about you know growing up in the in the time, and, and you you grew up in the in the Great Depression, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I think we need to start a little earlier. My mom and dad never, never gave me any money. Even when I did things around the house for them, they didn't think I had money coming. So I always earned my own money, including enough money to buy my school clothes once a year. So I had a paper route, a paper corner, anything it took to make money, and that's how I actually got started in the motorcycle business. I was going to high school, and by then I had... Bought my first Harley Davidson. It was a 1936-61 overhead. It was so old and completely original. Had a solo seat stuck on the back fender for the passenger to ride on. You can believe that. And a little pair of hand holes that was in, he'd hang on to them in the front. So that's how we got started was the very first. You know, I went over and bought that over in uh, West L.A., I went over there with money in my hand and bought it, and the guy gave it to me, and I I wrote it home. Could you imagine the liability that he was putting himself into in this day and age? But back then, things were just different. You just just did it. But I always, I remember I always saved my money, and I always had money. So I was able to do the things that I wanted to do when it came time to do them.
0: So you didn't need full coverage insurance when you wrote out of that dealership?
2: (laughs) I didn't even know what it was. (laughs) so
0: your your dad, I think, has a cool story too, and this kind of just gives us an idea of the period in which you grew up. So your dad drove around downtown l a in a horse drawn carriage and he sold soap right is that
2: He worked for the White King Soap Company and he started delivering soap down in the l a immediately right in the city of the area and he had a horse and wagon when he started, and later on, they get him a a truck and he started delivering it with a truck, so yeah, he started delivering. Soap in Los Angeles with a horse and wagon.
0: Very cool. So now you bought your first bike. Um, how old were you, and, and what and what did you pay for it? If you don't mind us asking.
2: Trying to think, but the first very first. Were, bike. were you around 12? In those days, you get a license, a driver's license, at 14. And so, did so you
0: have was, your license when you bought your bike?
2: When I bought my first motorcycle, I had my license.
0: Oh, you bought you? Did you buy a bike and hide it?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> because your parents that, didn't want you to have that, it, or why'd you do that? that goes,
1: yeah, that goes along with one of my favorite Bob quotes. These are uh, big for forgiveness and ask for permission. <laughs> He's always told me that my whole time I've been here, and I've, I've carried that with me forever.
2: Yeah, I couldn't have a motorcycle, so I bought one, <clears throat> and I had to keep it up at my friend's house, Kenny Meade. He lived there in Monterey Park, a few blocks from me. So my mom kept seeing us ride this bike together, so. It was an old Indian and you'd i one or the other would be doing the driving the other one would be doing the shifting it was a <laughs> it was a team effort to ride that bike up and down the every uh, boulevard, but my mom kept seeing me on that thing and so finally I got one that I brought it home and took it apart. But I remember one time I had a Powell motor School that my dad had, and I took the carburetor off of it, and I was on the sidewalk in front of the garage. And I had that carburetor all apart on the bench on a cement. And my mom walked by and she says, Bob, you'll never get that thing back together again. Well, it wasn't true. It didn't take very long. It was back together and running fine. So that's kind of how we got started in mechanics. We didn't have any money to, to spend with anybody else. If it got fixed or got worked on, you did it yourself. Yeah. So I was always mechanical and my brother Alan worked at a garage on the corner. So I was always hanging around there. So mechanics were just something that I always did and had a feel for.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to jump ahead, but I feel like when you got up and running and started Laidlaw's Harley Davidson, you did a lot of your own like mechanical repair repair work and you knew all the engines, you know, very intimately as, as far as, you know, how to fix them and everything, which you you can't really say today um, about a lot of the the owners of dealerships and, and people maybe in sales, so I, I feel like you were very, you, as you were uh, progressing the business in the early stages of the business, you knew those bikes inside and out, is that correct?
2: I did, because I had had one of my own, and I'd taken it apart, and I'd bought a couple, of them and repaired them, and bought them, sold them, I remember there was a guy that I bought a bike from, he was out at San Gabriel Boulevard drinking one night, and, and running through the, the train, the train was coming, and he, Run into the engine of the train and it killed him. So you know one thing've I've never had a smoked a cigarette in my life. I've never drank a can of beer in my life. I just said this one thing that we've never did. So that part of my life was always a, a little different than most of my friends.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back, so your first bike you you bought it was an Indian that you that you co with your friend. Is that right? And then you bought your a 1928 Harley-Davidson after that. Is that? Am I getting the time frame? Well,
2: it's not quite right. I had three Indians before I got my first Harley-Davidson. <laughs>
0: so you are an Indian guy before you were a Harley guy. Interesting. And then, you, and then now you've moved over to Harley, now you're diehard Harley. What, what's your opinion of Indian nowadays?
2: Well, it's totally different than it ever was back then. But <laughs> I, had, I had an Indian pony, and then we got an Indian scout, and then we bought an Indian shaft drive. The Army authorized Harley-Davidson and Indian to both build a shaft drive when they thought they needed one down in the desert. So I had a shaft drive that I rode and it was a V configuration and it was like the Goosey was and the Harley-Davidson was a, a flat engine like the BMW was. So yeah, I had one of those and I got it and rode it for a while, and I remember one time I was up at high school and outside the shop, and I, I thought I'd kind of burn me a little half circle, and I leaned it over to to get ready to go, and my knee touched the spark plug because the cylinder was hanging right out there, so the shock came right through my hand, so I, I popped the clutch, <laughs> popped the clutch, wasn't ready for it at all, but anyhow, we survived a lot of crazy things that used to do.
0: They, they didn't have the safety features on the bikes back then that they do now, nowadays, right? There was
2: no cover on that spark plug. It was just right raw when <laughs> it got to my knee.
0: Okay, so uh, so you had three Indians. Then you then got a, a 1928 Harley-Davidson uh, when you were about 14 years old, approximately. The, um, first,
2: the first Harley-Davidson I bought was a 36, 1936. Uh, okay, That was the first time Harley ever built an overhead valve. That sell on the market, so I bought that thirty six and brought it home and was full dress at the time and immediately tore it down and made a chopper out of it. We called them choppers in those days.
0: Those are the original choppers back in those days. Very cool. So yeah. your your parents condoned that, like they they were okay. No, they approved they, that.
2: They didn't want any part of the motorcycle. I had to keep my first one down at my like I told you in my friend's house.
0: Okay. So they they soon got af- they soon got over it after they realized that hey we can't stop Bob. He's going to get those motorcycles and he's going to ride and we have to just kind of live with it at this point.
2: I rode them all my life. I've always had a two-wheel vehicle in my life from the, the day I can remember.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your progression after your first Harley to what then ultimately brought you to buying a dealership.
2: Well, I was working in a dealership. I worked two st- two semesters and the summer in between.
0: Of high school?
2: In high school.
0: So you worked, what did you do there at the dealership in high school? I was a
2: mechanic. First I ordered as a wash boy, a grunt, so I washed bikes and then I got, but because I had enough knowledge, he he had a mechanic that was working for him and the mechanic left. And so he said, Bob, why don't you come down and help me a little bit? That was Johnny Gersh, the guy I bought the business from. Mm -hmm. So I went down and, I was such a natural; they couldn't believe it. And I, because I had a bike of my own, then I worked the summer, and then I went full time when I gra- graduated from high school.
0: And this is a dealership that was on Garvey in, in Rosemead. And was it was it an authorized dealership at the time? Did Did Harley Motor Company recognize this and send them new bikes at the time? They did. A guy named
2: Harry Steele bought the bought the he bought a sub franchise from Chubbuck in Pasadena, Chubbuck. Graves and Chubbuck Harley Davidson. And so he bought a sub dealership and he had to pay 10% of every dollar that he bought from Harley Davidson. He had to creep them off 10%. So when he, that eventually went away and we got away from that 10% and had a full blown dealership.
0: Gotcha. So you started off as a grunt washing bikes. They saw that you were mechanically inclined. You started working as a technician. About how old were you at that time?
2: I was still in high school. So I had, like I said, I was 17.
0: Okay. Um, now I know you went away uh, and got drafted, right? Or did you go to the war? Or tell, tell us a little bit about what happened after high school and then getting married and all that stuff.
2: Well, in 1951, I married Frances, one of the smartest things I ever did in my life to <laughs> marry her. So that was great. And uh,
0: you went to the war, right? What war was that? Talk about I that. I got load. drafted.
2: It was the end of the Korean War. The Korean War, okay. And they drafted me, and I, Jerry was, my wife was pregnant with Jerry at the time, and the, they still drafted me, put me in the Army, and sent me over to Europe. Jerry's I,
0: my dad, by the way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Jerry was, was 14 months old before I ever saw him. I came back home, and he walked in the room and said, Hi, Daddy. <laughs>
0: that was the first time you ever met him. He said, "Hi, Daddy." First uh, time I ever saw him. That's crazy. So, what what happened after you got home from the war? You went back to work at the same dealership, or
2: I went to the back into the dealership and was working. And I knew I could do better. I could, I could do this myself. And there was a guy over in Pico Revere that had a dealership, a small one. And uh, I found out it was for sale, so I set up a deal with him and I I told John Gerich, who I was working for who owned the dealership that I was going to leave and I was very popular with all the, the people because I was a mechanic who did the work on everybody's bike and so he he wanted to go to Daytona and he had a racer that he sponsored so he said to me and by the way I had given him $2,000 earlier in the in the scenario t- to buy out his partner. And he had never paid me that money back. So I had a $2,000 investment already in the shop, and he was very good to me. He said, if you're really serious about it, I'll sell you this one. And the selling price was $28,000. I remember the first night I closed the door and, and turned the alarm on and thought, Wow, this whole thing is mine. All they took was the money out of the soda pop machine and the cigarette machine and their personal items and tools and everything else they walked away from. Never could happen again in the the whole wide world today and age.
0: So did you have $28,000 cash that you just gave the guy? or
2: I did not. I remember getting my dad... During the war years, he signed up to have buy a bond a month, and every month he'd buy a bond. They cost eighteen seventy-five, but wow, when that thing came due in ten years, it was worth twenty-five dollars. So he had—he never did shut the the thing off. He bought one every month for years and years. And I remember we went down to the Bank of America in Monterey Park, and he signed all those old bonds that he had. So many of them. And gave me the money. He loved he loved the motorcycle business and he knew I could do well at it. So he, that's where I got the money and and Johnny carried me for the rest. So that's just on a handshake. There was just, he knew, I, he knew what the price was after the down payment why well, I had to pay him off and that didn't take very long because the thing was just starting to really get up and run hard and fast back then because it was, Everybody wanted a motorcycle, and Harley was making them.
0: So your your dad kind of had a change of heart, and he basically sold off all these bonds, and so he helped you pay for the dealership. Now, did you pay your dad back, or or did he just say, "Hey, son"? He didn't
2: son. have a he didn't have a change of heart. He loved the business. He used to come down there every day on his way home from work and watch me do the mechanic work and everything. So he uh, he had a real passion for that motorcycle business.
0: So that was in 1958, right? 1958
2: Which, is when I bought the business.
0: Okay, very cool. Um, so, yeah, talk a little bit about, you know, what, what bikes were out during that that period. Um, talk for a second just about some of the, the most popular bikes, like... The, sports, uh, the, uh, okay. the Sportster
2: was the most popular back then, but when I first started, I had a, a Harley, 40, they called them Harley 45s, the side valve. Engine, it was seven 45 cubic inches at 750 cc's. So that's what I kind of got started with was having one of those. And I used to race it off road a little bit and do a lot of different things with it.
0: Now, how many, how many bikes were you selling a year back then? Approximately,
2: when I bought the franchise, it sold 28 motorcycles the year I bought it. The year that I was the top volume dealer in the world, it sold about 560.
0: And that was in the seventies.
2: Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, yeah. Let, let's let's talk a, a little bit about that story um, in the seventies when you when you uh, were the top volume. Before in before you
1: world. move on to that, Matt, yeah. he has a story I'm sure he remembers too about uh, ordering the first Sportsters from Willie G's mom. I think the story was right, Bob. They yeah, said you could, they said you could order one, and you ordered like ten or something like that. Yeah. What year was that? This is a great
0: story, man. This is a good one. So it was Willie G's mom that was taking the orders?
2: In those days, when you wanted a motorcycle, they had a form that had a a carbon copy. And so you filled out what you wanted and what you wanted on it, and you kept your copy and gave them the other copy. Well, bikes were just starting to get, they were realizing they didn't have enough bikes to fill the orders that they were going to be getting. I used to go to the factory every year because I could... I went out with the president of the company. It was William H. Davidson. He was the grandson of the founder. And we went out and had dinner together. And then we went into his kid's house and saw them. So I saw his kids when they they were all very young and had their babies and their kids were little. So I i I remember that was a special time that you think about a a dealer going out with the president of the company and spending the evening with him
1: yeah one time Brent told me he said i when I was a kid i didn't remember, I didn't know where Milwaukee was. all I knew was it must have been a really bad place because my dad would get his overcoat and his hat on and we'd take him to the airport and he'd get on this d c eight or d c nine plane or whatever, and he'd come back smelling like cigarettes. Yeah, so I knew for sure Milwaukee was nowhere I ever wanted to go because my dad came back smelling like cigarettes because they were smoking on the planes back then. So, yeah.
2: I remember that. He sitting, always sat next to a guy and it seemed that smoked all the time. Ugh. I hated it. I never smoked and never drank.
0: So, um, yeah, talk a little bit about, too, the uh, the experience that you had in the 70s. You know, that was the AMF days, right? Now, you were the number one dealer for a couple of years in the 70s, right? Talk a little bit about how that happened.
2: Well, I think I told you that in those days you signed the an order. So I was back there visiting Walter Davidson back in his office, and we we got up from his office and we were going to lunch, and the fellow was taking care of the orders, sat right outside of his office, and he would program the orders, and they could see that they were going to run out. So he held up this little... Ten pieces of paper, and said, "What do you What do you want to do about these orders?"
0: And They were orders that you wanted to place.
2: Yes, I had placed them, but they hadn't given me yet. Mm-hmm. So Walter Davidson looked at that stack, and he thought it was each piece of paper was one bike, but each piece of paper was ten motorcycles. I had. <laughs> whatever reason, whatever the reason was, I had marked ten, and he said, "Fill it." I'll never forget those words. He said, "Fill it." <laughs> so there, and the guy kind of liked me. He didn't tell him that there was how many there were. <laughs>
0: the guy or, placing the orders for you, oh, yeah. he kind of liked you, and it, it, was, uh, it was this was William Davidson that was Walter said, Walter, Phil, Walter, David, Walter Davidson. Davidson yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, he I said, a, "Fill it."
2: He was a grandson. Okay. When I had that large stock of motorcycles because they were coming in, I remember they used to ship them in containers. They called them pigs because they were a, a piggyback. They'd put them on a rail car. They'd put a container on a rail car and ship it. And then they would get a truck here and bring it out to your place. So one time I had so many bikes coming in that in one week I got three of those pigs. There were so many bikes that I had to stack them three high. I had a cover in the backyard or in the, on the property there, and they were stacked up three high until I could get them resolved. Just sitting out in the open nobody <laughs> nobody could get them down or bother with them I guess but anyhow I had I remember very well when I had three of those coming the same week
0: so what were the what was the popular bike? I remember you saying that forcers were the big
2: big thing right then.
0: And you made like a prediction, right? I remember you telling me before that you made this prediction that you knew that this Sportster was going to be hot, which is why you you placed all those big orders on this bike.
2: Yeah, they had a new model they brought I called a CH, and it was a chopper Sportster. It didn't have the small wheels. I mean, the, the small tires. It had. It was a. It was a real popular thing, and they really sold great. And I sold them for eighteen ninety five. Eighteen
0: ninety five. that's $1,895. Right. (laughs) A deal by today's standards, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's an important distinction to make as well. So the original dealership, I know we're bouncing around a lot, but the original dealership you bought was down the street a little bit from what would then be the Laidlaw's in Garvey that most people know, which was east down Garvey Boulevard a little bit, and you moved to that building in the early 60s. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's about right.
0: So you, you upgraded from the original location. It was on Garvey as well. You went down the street, got a little, little bit bigger building, and you were there until about 2000, right, 2002, and we moved to this big building in, in Baldwin Park in 2002. Right. So, so this is actually the third Laidlaw's location that you've had. When I, when
2: I got in that first location, we rented the building from the bank, and they didn't want to fix the roof, and I, I hated the rain. Every time it rained... I was down there putting buckets out and trying to keep the inventory dry, the parts inventory, and the water was coming in, and I it was just a mess all the time. I I just hated to have the rain come in my life.
0: So that was one of the things that prompted you to get your own building, right? And the property you got in the early sixties. That property
2: came up for sale, and less than two weeks we had an inventory. I mean, into escrow and bought it i remember the guy that we bought the property from he and his wife were in the throes of the divorce he called up and he said bob would you please take that for sale sign down he said my phone is lit up night and day and, and i don't want to have to answer it anymore so that was a real coup to buy that piece of property when we did and for what we paid for it i don't remember the price but it was compared to what the value of it is today
0: yeah well so you're in that building for about 40 years right a little less than 40 years and that's that's kind of the where the Laidlaws has spent most of its time and that's where a lot of these people that come into the dealership and talk about the good old days with bob Laidlaw. that's the dealership they're talking about is in in uh rosemead yeah. on garvey boulevard
2: right underneath
1: yeah. the power lines yeah yeah i remember working there that's where i first started working for your grandpa and the family it's it was a, so he talks about rain, right, that we had technicians in the backyard, and there was this, like, little triangular area where we'd store bikes. At the time, we didn't have enough guys, and we didn't have enough space for them, so we had two lifts out back, and when it would rain, it would rain on these guys, like, <laughs> crazy. That they were air would flood, yeah. So we'd have to bring them inside, and, you know, and kind of, like, it, back then, when it rained, it got kind of quiet, so we'd send people home or whatever, but... I remember raining at that building a lot, quite a bit that year or whatever, and then power lines are right there and the wash bay was out in front by the street and yeah, it was pretty cool, pretty cool spot.
0: I, I remember as a little kid, you know uh, growing up, elementary school, even high school, my dad bringing me into that dealership on Saturdays and having me do everything from you know cleaning toilets, trimming the hedges. One time they, they thought they would try me on the wash bay. And I remember I stalled a, a customer's bike right in front of the customer after it had been washed. And the guy that was in charge of the time was like, No, no, this kid can't <laughs> do it. And so I got I got demoted back to like cleaning toilets and like yeah. peeling stickers. And I remember there was like an upstairs they stored like a lot of parts. I had to sweep that stupid floor every single day. So yeah, in high school I wasn't even good enough to wash bikes at that point. But I totally remember my dad pulling me out of bed on Saturdays and I just wanted to stay home and Play hockey or play video games. My dad would bring me down to the mm-hmm. shop and force me to work. But yeah, good good memories. Um,
1: That's the first place I saw like, um, well, I saw Bob ride a bike, and I was like right away, like, man, this guy really knows how to operate a motorcycle. Like, he took off out of the service department. There was a there was a driveway right there, and and the, the streets like just zoom in, and he's on this. I think it was like a dresser as like a like a, it was, I believe it was a jester bike one of those purple ultras they had back then. And he takes off out of there, and he just looks real quick, and just takes off into traffic. I was like, "Oh man, that guy—he can really ride! Like, that's crazy."
0: I remember, Grandpa, you told me a story about you having a police bike and being injured, and you still continue to ride it, anyways. Um, maybe my dad told me this story, so I don't. Maybe you don't remember, but do you recall what I'm talking about?
2: No, tell me more about it.
0: So, I so um, my dad was telling me that. You something was wrong with your foot or something, but you were just tough and stubborn and you continue to ride this bike anyways. And um you had I just remember him telling me that you had no business being on a motorcycle, but you just kinda like, ah, I don't care, I'm gonna ride it anyways. Um and maybe it was just kind of in general terms. He was telling me the story, but talk talk a little bit about like your like riding experience and like what what kind of a rider were you? Because I, I know Back in your heyday, like you, you had to have been a good, like skillful motorcycle rider. And I, I don't you know, you don't you can brag about yourself a little bit, it's okay.
2: Well, I sort of started riding <laughs> and, and I was a natural because of all my two wheel experience. But I remember I did a little bit of off road riding, racing. We called them Heron Hounds back then, and <clears throat> I remember riding this, I had the I was the first Harley that was in that race that came in, and so I I had a lot of experience riding off road as well as on road.
0: So it was off road on a Harley. Yeah. What what kind of Harley were you riding off road? It was an
2: old 45 inch or 750 cc like a flathead. Yeah. Flathead engine. They were dogs. They <laughs> they didn't have much going for them, but <laughs> no springing on the back. The back end was rigid. I was the first one that. But it said a hydro in forty nine when they brought out the hydroglide fork. Hey, we had the world by the tail. That that front end had five inches of travel. Can you imagine? Five <laughs> inches? That was that was great.
1: I don't think modern bikes have that. It's like well, four or something. In the front. front what do they have in the front, yeah. Like four
2: and some change. One of the things that I did in my time was to ride we had a guy that had a sidecar rig that he'd rigged up. And he needed what he called a monkey. The guy was riding the sidecar. When you went around a right-hand turn, you were leaning way, way out of the air to hold that wheel down. And when you went around to the left, you got over there and leaned as far over the rear fender as you could to try to hold that wheel down. So we had quite a time with that. We rode a hair down that started at midnight one time, I remember
0: that 's awesome, um, one of my favorite stories um, is when I first started doing finance here at the dealership and doing the paperwork on the bikes i i was I was probably in my mid to late twenties and I remember just making sure that I' followed all the rules, protected the dealership both legally and financially, and just doing everything by the book because I was just you know very intimidated in this new responsibility that I had and then there was this customer that was kind of like an old school guy uh, of bob's and We couldn't secure him financing because his his credit, you know, was no good. And he went straight to Bob for like the bro Bob deal. And I remember you, grandpa telling me, yeah, just let him, you know, put, put, I think it was about $10,000, but $10,000 just, you know, we're going to carry the loan for a little bit. I know this guy, he's good for it. You know, he, he had terrible credit by the way, but you, (laughs) you knew him personally and you said, I was, you're good for it. And I just remember thinking, okay, my grandpa has lost it. He's loaning this guy who has terrible credit, our, our money, and, you know, no no loan. I mean, we had kind of like a handwritten contract or something. I don't even remember what it was. But um, he ended up paying the money back, um, and, and everything turned out just fine. I had to call him and remember it. I had to be the collection guy. But talk a little bit about, Grandpa, how before there was Harley-Davidson Financial, like how did you, and people came in, if they didn't have cash, what did you do, like, For financing.
2: You know, back in those days, the guy's handshake really meant something. If he said, I'm going to, I'll pay you, he did. He really, he really went out of his way to make sure that you got paid. So we had a lot of those just, I know him, it's okay deals and, you know, would have never, never passed today's market. Yeah,
1: one of those customers came in, I think it was 2004 or five, something like that. I think it was one of Bob's birthday. Uh, events that we had. He comes in on this, uh, this like 58 or 59 panhead chopper that he built it had a big girder front end on it, like way out there. And he walks up and he goes, Where's Bob? And I go, oh, He's over there. So he goes up to Bob and they start talking. They obviously knew each other. Next thing I know, Bob's riding away on this guy's bike just around the corner, no helmet on, right? And I'm like, Wait. So I'm like, All right, well, he'll be back at some point, right? So soon soon enough, I don't know, I was waiting out there for him to make sure he made it back, but. About 10, 15 minutes later, maybe he comes back rolling back towards the dealership, but the Ballpark park PD's following him. So,
0: probably, probably Bob. Yeah.
1: So, apparently, and maybe he can tell the story better than me, but they pulled him over because he didn't have a helmet on. They knew who he was because obviously people around didn't knew who he is. And uh, they said, hey, Bob, you can't be riding without a helmet. And he said, oh, yeah, I know. I own the dealership. Follow me. And he just took off. <laughs> <laughs> so they followed him back just to make sure he made it back. And I talked to the sergeant, whoever it was that was following him. And he's like, oh, I just want to make
0: sure he made it back to the dealership. Okay. No, no, no talk of ticket. It was one of those like customers
1: that Bob known for life and, you know, probably financed him at some point. And the guy come down for his birthday and wanted to show Bob his bike that he bought from him way back when. So it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool day.
2: Yeah. These were a lot different back then.
0: So one of my favorite stories, Grandpa, is one that my dad tells where someone didn't pay back their loan. And the the way my dad tells it is you guys were coming home from church, and you had the entire family in your car, and you had to do a spot a repo of this bike. Can you talk about that for a second?
2: You'll have to help me out. I don't remember that. Well,
0: well, you were telling me that you had to cut the lock, and you replaced the lock with a brand-new one. Oh, that was a— that was a separate incident? I got, that was a different bike. That okay. I got
2: that out of the guys. He was over in West L.A. there.
0: Well, so uh, it's safe to say that you would do your own repos, though, right? Like oh, once yes. in a while. Yeah. So tell us tell us what you would do. A guy wasn't paying. Maybe he was a month or two late on his payment. What What did you do? What was the next step at that point?
2: I remember we used to go get him when we were –
0: so Bob's wife Francis is talking. So <laughs> Yeah, so as as recalled by Francis, my grandmother Bob's wife, they and I recalling a, a story that my dad would tell me. They would they would drive right up to the guy's driveway, park the car in the driveway. Bob would open up the garage, you know, clip a lock if he had to clip the lock and just help himself to the motorcycle and just pull it it out, and put it, yeah, well, yeah, (laughs) just put the bike on the back of a trailer, and just go off with his, with his day, like, like, you know, this is part of business, is, you know, that's just how it was, (laughs) you don't pay, I'm taking the bike back, which by today's standards, you know, we have repo companies, and, you know, there's all kinds of conflicts when that type of thing happens, but.
2: Most of the time, they came back in and redeemed them, They, they were just in a hard spot, you know, and they'd be late on their payments, and, when we, if they would come in and talk, we could work it out. But when they stayed away, that's when you just took the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's
0: so awesome. You did your own repos. That's very cool. It's great. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I, nowadays I feel like some of the older engines, like the Knucklehead, the Panhead, and the Shovelhead, have kind of been like immortalized, where there's a lot of guys that collect those bikes now. What, what can you tell us, you know, you don't have to spend too much time on this, but what can you kind of tell us about those engines? You know, I always find it very interesting when you talk about the, the certain quirks or maybe problems. What, what were the problems of some of those engines? And maybe what were some of the strengths and what did they bring to the table um, as compared to its predecessor? Can you, you want to talk about some of the old engines like those, the knuckle pan or shovel head engine?
2: Well, they're all the basics 1936 overhead that's That's been the standard forever. They put different top ends on all of them, different kinds of cylinders and heads. But it's always, always goes back to the very original basic. And they're still that way today. That old original 36 design is one that they're still they're living with as part of the history of Hardy-Davidson and, and production.
1: Yeah, the forty five degree V twin's been around. That's that's what he's talking about. And I remember it wasn't too long ago, him and Jerry were in the back of the shop working on a guy's flathead that he brought over. And uh, I can't remember what was wrong with it. I think it had a transmission problem or something, but it was there for a while. They got it fixed. But then uh, Jerry went and Jerry went and rode it, and Bob was there waiting. And Jerry comes back and and uh, Jerry Bob says, "How'd it go, Jerry?" And Jerry said, "It runs pretty good, Dad, but it smokes a little bit." And Bob says, "Well, it's entitled to Jerry." <laughs> <laughs> best thing ever oh man i made my whole day it's entitled to
0: what what are as as you've you know been in this business for so long what's a bike or bikes that stand out to you as like hey i'll always remember that motorcycle when it came out you know when harley announced that bike that was the bike that was awesome
2: well the one that i'll never forget is the very first harley i bought which was the 1936 61 cubic inch overhead valve that's the basis of all the engines that they've ever built, including today's production.
1: Talk about racing a little bit. Bob, remember, uh, uh, what was his name, Joe Smith? Was it Joe Smith, the drag racer?
2: Yeah, there are two aspects of it that are really been in my history. One of them is drag racing, and the other is all of the work I did with the California Highway Patrol. Yeah. The drag racing was something that, I met a guy, I had a customer come in, his name was Joe Smith. And... <clears throat> He had an old knucklehead that he raced at the drag races. And I remember going in the back room and finding a front end that came off of one of our little 165 cubic inch, a small, small Hardy Davidson, and I gave that to him, and he put it on the front of that drag bike. Crazy. (laughs) Just to think it might handle all right. So that was the start of that. And then they kept getting faster and faster, and I began to sponsor him more and more. And he did do. He did. We set some records that, for years and years, are still standing.
1: There are some pictures around the dealership of them on a, of a I think it's a shovelhead, like top fuel shovelhead motorcycle. It's an amazing history. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of, cool.
0: speaking of pictures, Grandpa, there's one on what we call our wall of fame where we take people who buy bikes here, we take their picture against that wall. There's a picture of, you know, a, a receipt of you buying bikes. I believe you telling me it was somewhere on the East Coast that you bought all these bikes and you loaded all these bikes onto a truck and shipped them back to California. You want to talk about that for a minute?
2: Yeah, that was an interesting thing. When bikes began to get scarce.
0: Around what time was this?
2: Gosh, I'd have to think a while. I what which year it was. The 60s. The bikes began to get, the guys came from overseas and bought everything up in California. So I, somehow talking, I put an ad, I don't remember, I don't remember just exactly how I got together with this guy, but his name was Walter Cole, and he had a Harley Davidson franchise back in New York. And, uh, he um, he had these bikes. He 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 would trade. He would sell a new motorcycle, but he would never get rid of the trading. It was all around there. So I went out. I went out to talk to him one time. And I said, well, "Where are the bikes?" And he said, "Well, they're all out there in the field." He said, "The they fell over in the mud after a while, and so the grass is growing around. But they're there." <laughs> and, and so we we. Right, we Dredged all those bikes up, and I put them in, a, in a, a big trailer and sent them out here. And there was a whole truckload of those bikes, and we sold those things like crazy.
0: So you, you dug them out of the field, pulled the grass out of them, yeah. and you threw them on this truck. I remember you telling me you stacked them like too high, so they were literally on yeah. top of each other. I started
2: putting them in the truck. Well, I only got about 20 or so in there, and we ran out of room. So I went down to the lumberyard and bought these full-size sheets of plywood. Went in there and just set them right on top of the <laughs> handlebars <laughs> and the seats, and we nailed some things on the side, and we made it a double level. And we brought back forty forty bikes in that trailer. I'll never forget that. That's how you that make was, it happen. That's that how you was make a it happen. Crazy thing. <laughs>
0: So I, I got to imagine when they got back to your shop, you had to do, give them a little bit of maintenance work to, to get them back up to running status?
2: A lot of them we sold just as is. Just oh, in, really? Yes, boy, we, they were scarce at the time, so we just sold them. Yeah, a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, people fixed
1: things back then.
0: They so would you, just take them th- home yeah, and so put make, them back together.
2: They'd make choppers out of them. Yeah.
0: So you pulled them out of the mud and then just sold them off to the, the customer? A lot of them.
2: I fixed some of them myself. But wow. We, there was a lot of bikes. Like I said, we've got a picture of that down in the shop of that trailer that came. You know, we opened the back doors, and there's two levels of bikes in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I did all that myself.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen the photos.
1: Yeah, talk about the CHP again. Well, Bob, you told me to remind you about that.
2: Well, we started doing CHP work because they were riding Harley Davidson. So I got, got the contract to set them all up when they would come. So they'd send out a whole trailer rode of bikes, and I'd get them and process them and assemble them because they were in crates. And we'd take them out of the crates and put the floorboards on them and the crash bars right. and, and get them running and, and deliver them to the highway patrol, put the windshields on them. And so I, for a long time I rode every motorcycle that the highway patrol had for years on a, a break-in ride. They wanted to go 20 miles before we delivered them. So I, I put that 20 miles on a whole lot of them. Nice.
0: Talk, talk cool. a little bit about, um, you know, obviously your sons, my dad, Jerry and Brent, have worked at the dealership now their whole career. Talk a little bit about um, them coming up in the business and you kind of incorporating them into the business. Was it something that you always wanted them to do? Or, I mean, this is this is... A family-run dealership. I'm third-generation Laidlaw now here. Talk a little bit about. Did you always want them to be part of this? Or well,
2: Jerry worked for me. Came to work for me first, and he worked there for me quite a while. And Brent had been running his little business uh, a pool. Uh, he worked for this guy that built swimming pools, and so California. yeah, they brought him into the. We brought him into business, and he was such a natural. He pretty soon began to run the thing and took over more and more of the operation. And so he's always been the CEO, I guess is the right word. He he ran all those, took care of all those bikes that we were getting taken care of.
1: Want to talk about your uh, flying experience, Bob? Want to talk about your flying planes? That was one thing we had in common. My dad was a propeller mechanic for airplanes for a long time. We used to talk about that quite a bit, but I know you were a, a private aviation
2: buff for a while, right, pilot? I did love flying. I, I, had a, I bought an old airplane that had a wooden wing on it, and uh, I put a metal wing on it. I was the first guy that ever got that accomplished and put it back in the normal category. So that's, that was my flying career, and I always liked flying. It was fun. And we did that. That was quite a feat back in those days.
0: So there, there's two, two of my favorite stories with flying with Grandpa. So I've been up in the, in the plane with Grandpa twice when I was really young. And that's when I first found out that I get motion sickness. I get air sickness because <laughs> we were flying. And then Bob said, all right, guys, you guys want to see your house? And then he took the plane and <laughs> put it on its side like that. And I was, like, like completely sideways. There it is down there, guys. And then, like, my siblings looked back at me, and Bob looked back to me, and they said, Matt, your face is green. Are you okay? <laughs> and I have never been more nauseous in my entire life. And I I think I flew one more time with Grandpa, and I got sick again, and I said, okay, I'm done with this, this flying stuff, you know, so I, I won't fly with him anymore. But the second favorite story is one time – Grandpa you had to make a emergency landing a little bit and you ended up you know landing and the plane kind of propped up on its nose.
2: Is that yeah I had a an old airplane and I was over there getting going into uh, Burbank it was and I was landing and the motor quit. so I had to land it. So I called her up and I said, I've had a little trouble with the wheel and the motor on the airplane but it's okay and I'll be home pretty soon. So I came home and had dinner and everything and, and I was watching the news and I, they put this on the news about Walter Laidlaw. <laughs> and I, I heard her coming down the hallway and I thought, oh, <laughs> not good. And, Bob, is that you? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm on television. Isn't that great? And she said, no, it's not good at all. <laughs> That's how that went down. So that, oh, that was that was a day that we'll never forget.
1: Oh uh,
0: wow! Okay, so my story was a little bit wrong, but
2: I remember
1: him telling me a story one time about uh, he used to fly to Hemet. I think Hemet, right, to have uh, breakfast with your friends on Saturdays or something. There's like a aviation club, and uh, and he the gas in Hemet was really expensive. It was way more expensive than in El Monte, so he decided not to get gas, and he had to end up coasting in like. Gliding into the into the El Monte airport trying to get home because the gas is going to run out. Yeah.
2: I remember flying the airplane in and it took more gas than it was supposed to hold. Yeah. So that was a, that was a, I made it a commitment right there. That's the last time I'll ever try to stretch my gas in mm-hmm. the airplane. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, I got kind of two uh, closing questions. One, as you look back at your entire career with Harley Davidson, you know how, how would you describe it? Any regrets? Anything you'd do differently? Um, you know, kind of your your professional life as a whole. How would you describe that to everybody?
2: It's been a great ride. It, I'll tell you, Harley Davidson has really been good to me and my family, and I'm blessed to have all the history that I have in that
0: family business for over sixty years now. Right? So we're yeah, it's like sixty two, sixty three. Yeah, it's about sixty two years now, right? You've been uh, a dealer, and
1: yeah. one of my proudest moments with uh, in my career was I think it was two thousand eight, um, and Bob was a uh, it was the fiftieth anniversary of the dealership, and uh, we, as a management team, we made the decision early on. I don't remember if we told Bob this or not, but um, we decided we wanted to win the Gold Barn Shield Award, which back then that was the like top Harley Davidson dealer award. They didn't have platinum and diamond or whatever they have now. But uh, we made a deci- decision as a management team, you know, with Brent and everyone that th- at the time, too. we wanted to be there at the dinner at the at the dealer show for Bob's 50th anniversary and and uh, and have the Gold Barn Shield award and be there when it all was awarded to him. So, so that was like one of my biggest uh, accomplishments or big. Moments of my my career doing this, um, that was a really good time. There's a picture around here somewhere of it, um, yeah. but yeah, it was a really cool experience to be there with them when when that when that when they gave them all that stuff. So it was, it was neat.
0: What what would you attribute? You know, I, I look at you as someone who's been you know a very hard worker and someone who's been very successful. What would you attribute your success? You know, having come from, you know, delivering papers, you know, literally nothing, to you know where you're at today, having a you know successful dealership and. And everything else like what what kind of traits or what, what would you attribute that to like what, what what things have you done in your life or prepared in your life that you'd attribute that success to
2: i'm just a very blessed man i've been really blessed to have all that i've had over the years
0: that's yeah great answer
1: humility that's what i he's always been super humble it's like one of the one of the other things that Bob always tells everyone, and it, it like you really, it sinks into you when he tells you. Is he says, "I appreciate you." Like he looks at you and says, "I appreciate you," um, and he says that to a lot of you know people that work here when they do something you know special or whatever. And um, that's made a big impact on me. So yeah,
0: one of the things that I admire about you, Grandpa, is the fact that of of how frugal you are. You know, growing up, um, we would come over to your house and we would show you our report cards. And we were always really excited, like if we got A's on our report card, because you'd give us a um, dollar for every A. And I think on our report cards, you'd give us five dollars for every A that we got. Um, and so you spoiled us a little bit in that. But I remember you always telling me, you know, um, to, you know, there's there's certain things, you know, you, you, you said you would always be very, Uh, cautious of how you spent your money and in counseling us on how to spend our money you always counseled us to save and be very frugal and um, if I'm correct I don't even think you've owned a brand new car in your life have you I I mean you're always you know acquiring used vehicles you're just always very frugal can you comment a little bit about you know your frugality and kind of how that's played a part in in your
2: life gosh I forgot about that but I don't know, honey. Have you ever had a new car? I don't remember one. <laughs> <laughs> I Probably think not. I think
0: maybe my dad and my uncle Brent uh, bought a new car for Grandma against kind of you knowing. Yeah, yeah. If I, I,
1: I don't know the whole story, but I think they bought it in the same color to hopefully sneak it past Bobby <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So he, would, he wouldn't know. He wouldn't <laughs> realize it at first. I just drive that yeah.
0: Well, and another thing I love talking about Bob about is the uh, the toilet paper tutorial. Bob has taught us how to use the minimal amount of toilet paper to wipe your butt with to save the toilet paper. You know, you pull off two squares, you fold it, you wipe once, and you fold it again, and you wipe again. Um, I, I don't always adhere to that advice, um, But that's a a good tip that
1: nowadays toilet paper shortage and everything's going on, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Keith. I'm glad you brought that point (laughs) up because you just never know when some of these old school tactics might come in handy. You know, you have a shortage of toilet paper. (laughs) But yeah, he's still, he's going to be frugal his entire life. Um, That and the, when I first started driving, my grandpa and I think a lot of my cousins can tell the same story. He got in the car with us and he kind of gave us his tips on how to drive. And one of the tips was, is he said, you always have to imagine like there's an egg under your gas pedal and you don't want to crack that egg under your gra- your gas pedal. And he said, if you're stepping on the gas, you're spending money. If you're stepping on the brake, you're spending money. And so you want to use those two pedals as little as possible. And, you know, when I was coming to, you know, say I was going down the freeway and we got to go to the exit he'd he'd motion for me to get off the gas pedal at that point because you can coast and gradually slow down and not need to use the brake. But um, I just, I'll never forget those driving lessons that you taught me, grandpa. And um, just, you know, just, you know, everything from, you know, oil changes, just every, everything that you do or that you teach us to do or help us do has always been about being frugal, you know, whether it be, I remember when we went away to college, helping us source furniture. Even my house I have right now, I have furniture that you got somehow for free. And I don't always know where you get it, but um, I just always kind of respected that about you. And I'm I'm not as frugal as you are, but I I feel like a lot of that has rubbed off on me. And I I feel like, you know, and my dad too, I think my dad is very frugal. And I just, I, I appreciate that, that I guess skill or mindset, if you want to call it that. Just because I feel like in, in nowadays we live in a world where it's all about abundance, it's all about spending, it's all about consumerism, and just being able to acquire some of these things without necessarily dropping that money, I think is is something very cool and, and something that I cherish. Having learned at a young age, so that um, wasn't so much as a question as me just you know something about my grandpa that I that I value. And any other uh, parting words, grandpa? It's it's been a Well,
2: What you're just saying. My motto has always been, "If you save a dollar, you made a dollar." <laughs> yeah. I've been blessed in a good life and a good wife and a good family it's It's been a a great experience. I love going to coming down on the shop on Saturdays and seeing my old friends. It's always been a good place We can't do it anymore, but anyhow
0: i you, one more thing why while, while, while you're on that note um it's, 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 it's crazy to me. Like I still get people coming in all the time that say they have their stories about the good old days or when we were in Rosemead, they'll say, you know, when I was a little, I can't count the number of times people have come in and said, when I was a young boy, I had no business being in a Harley dealership. I couldn't afford a Harley dealership, but Bob Laidlaw let me come in and look at the bikes and it was nice to me, even though I was 15, 16 years old and then they're now, you know, they're now in their forties, fifties and they're buying bikes from us, you know? So, uh, and, and just the number of people that come in and ask for you all the time. Um, it's just, it's crazy because I don't, I didn't get to see that part of your life, but to hear about it from like all these customers that you've touched over the years has been like so cool to like see these people come in and, oh yeah, I remember when Bob did this for me or I came in and Bob gave me a tour of the whole store on his little scooter And I wasn't expecting that, and I'll never forget that. And just the the time you've taken out of your day, just with just random people, even when they had no business even buying a bike. They weren't in the market to buy a bike. They couldn't financially afford it or whatever. You still took time out to make them feel welcome.
2: I have taken a lot of people on a tour of that store. yeah i've seen he does all the time
1: whenever i see him on the scooter or whatever he's like come follow me and <laughs> he's like taking him through the shop but yeah we had the same thing in service you know we get people all the time that are I Bought my first bike from bob back in the 60s or 70s or this is my third or fourth motorcycle and yeah they come through a lot and like they all have the same everyone has a bob story and it's it's a really cool to listen to with these guys and and when bob's here you know get to talk to him for a few minutes when he comes in on saturdays and normally he's just greeting people at the front door which seems to be his favorite thing to do these days but yeah it's been a great experience I've had the privilege of working for your family for going on 15 years and it's been a great thing for my family and you know it's provided a great uh um, living and a great life for us and you know I thank you a lot for everything you've done and you know founding this place and keeping it going over the years and exposing me and trusting me to all your family members with Matt and all your other grandkids and your your sons and everything it's been a great experience for my life
2: so thank you for that well appreciate all of you people life wouldn't have been the same without my family and friends yeah
0: well grandpa thanks for taking the time out and we come down it's obviously been a pleasure having you here um uh, maybe we can have you on future episodes as well uh, maybe we'll have a little bit more specific topics that maybe won't take as much time um and so we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up and ask you in the future maybe if you're feeling up to it. But um, I think we have some lunch here. So, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for watching, as always. And, yeah, thanks again, Bob, for being here. And, yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to leave them in the comments below. And if this is the first time on our podcast, if you're listening uh, via podcast platforms, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And, um, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, like that video and subscribe. Thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you on the next one. All right, bye-bye.
2: See you. Great. Thank you.
0: <clears throat> so as you guys know, we usually like to do a tech talk with every single podcast where Keith goes into, you know, in-depth about a topic that's pretty popular, but because of the nature of this podcast, we weren't able to.
1: Yeah, we had a good time talking to Bob, but we went a little bit long, so he had some good stories to tell us. Um, so we don't have time for this time. But um, I just wanted to clear up one thing from uh, last time real quickly. Um, I, I, I read some of the comments, and I'd— did fail to mention the new Harley-Davidson Heavyweight uh, synthetic transmission oil last time. Um, I did that kind of on purpose. Um, I didn't have a lot of data on it. Um, I didn't have a lot of feedback yet. It was It's kind of a new product. Um, since then, I've talked to a few customers um, as well as uh, we have a few employees that we've put in the uh, that oil in their transmission and with good reviews. So I've since then uh, updated my recommendation to uh, synthetic Synth3 oil in the engine. Uh, Formula Plus in the primary and the new Harley-Davidson heavyweight synthetic in the uh, transmission. So, um, other than that, uh, yeah, going forward, uh, we had a lot of questions about performance items. So, um, I thought it was best to break that up. So, over the next, like, four podcasts, I think, we'll uh, start with uh, kind of what natural progression of stage one. um, And then we'll kind of, the second one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and so on. And then we can kind of get into... Um, if people have speci- specific questions about other stuff um, outside of the Harley realm, we can talk about that too. Um, but uh, we just wanted to, you know, let everyone know that uh, we didn't we didn't forget about it. But yeah, we're gonna uh, forward it to the next uh, a series of the next like four podcasts. So um, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, keep the comments coming, uh, keep the suggestions coming, and uh, yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So uh, tune in next time.
0: All right, on, guys, see you next time. See